The phone conversation between fantasy veterans Bob Harris and Matt Waldman is a quick and dirty rundown of players, units, or teams from Sunday's games. Feel it or fuck it is our instant verdict on the fantasy value of a player situation, not the ability, effort, or character of the player. This is just how two old-timers in this industry talk when they got a lot of cover in a little time. Well, there you have it. It seems in hindsight, Matt Wallman, to be a little anticlimactic. I thought going in, I was like all excited uh, that the NFL draft starts. There's like some big exciting things happen, you know, the first day that seemed really exciting. I'm not sure how exciting they really were. We're going we're gonna to try and figure that out. But in the end, I feel a little let down. Is it just me? It's probably like dating a movie star or some celebrity of some sort. It's probably like you're expecting more than the fact that they put their pants on just like everybody else. Well, maybe they don't. Maybe they have a, a, a production no, assistant verify. put their pants on for them. No, but I can I, I, yeah. They do. Yeah. So, see, you would know. You no, cavort with these types. It's true. It's true. <laughs> All right. Let's dive in, though, to some of the uh, some of the fallout and some of the things we'll be looking for going forward in the wake of the 2023 NFL draft. I think first and foremost, from fantasy managers' perspectives, is this B. John Robinson fellow. They say he's very good. I say he landed in a decent spot, right? This offense seems to be uh, destined to run with Arthur Smith uh, at the helm of it. Uh, they have some decent other pieces. Uh, feel it or fuck it, B. John Robinson is a top five fantasy running back as a rookie. I'm feeling the possibility of it because really when you look at the when you look at Arthur Smith's offense and what Tyler Algier was able to do, it shows how good that offensive line was really playing. And Robinson is, uh, I can tell you, a good couple tiers better than Tyler Algier, who <laughs> ran hard. But Bijan Robinson has better cutback ability. He sees the field better. He's he's as good, if not more, dynamic as a receiver. Um, so really, you're looking at a scenario here where, it, like any other running back, that you say, oh, he's got a chance to be top five, like a legit chance. He's in that group. We've seen some recent backs do this, Saquon Barkley, uh, among others. I mean, so when you invest that draft capital, you tend to want to get the, to maximize the usage. And I think Arthur Smith will do that. As you said, they do have some other weapons there. It'll be interesting to see if the addition of B. John Robinson allows Kyle Pitts to maybe pick up the pace a little bit. And Drake London, uh, of course, all that is going to be Desmond Ritter related. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, the Lions, are you feeling their evaluation on Jameer Gibbs? They said they might have taken him sixth overall. Uh, they ranked him that highly, which suggests they may have had him ahead of B. John Robinson on their board. Is there any reason why anyone would have done that? And just in general, how do you feel about their uh, their going all in on Jameer Gibbs? As long as they had B. John Robinson in the top as one of their top five players, um, I would say I'm feeling the idea that they would have taken Jameer Gibbs at six, in the sense that Jameer Gibbs is a great fit for what the Lions want to do with their running backs. Um, now, I would say a, a very good fit, but I would still say Bijan Robinson is probably a little better as a route runner than B Jameer Gibbs is right now. People don't realize that Alabama took Jameer Gibbs off the field with certain types of routes that you would expect Gibbs to be a part of based on the, the hype, but he catches the ball very well. I think he's going to get be only get better as a route runner. And the way the Lions want to use him, not only are they going to use him the you know on draw plays and screens and things like that, but they are also going to let him run in the middle of the field and he'll make good decisions between the tackles. 
in a way that they would expect from one of their two main backs. So is he going to be is he going to be in a position like Bijan Robinson to earn 15 to 17 touches a game or more? Probably not. But I think you're going to get a consistent 10 to 12 touches per game and they're going to be high impact touches and if he gets hot, you could see scenarios where maybe they run with the hot hand at times and that doesn't mean that David Montgomery is you know, I mean Montgomery will have some good weeks too. But it's not one of those scenarios like we saw with DeAndre Swift. Let me just take that, you know, dial out on this a little bit. It seems like the Lions are, you know, one of those teams, they don't care what you think about what they think about players, right? Are, are you a fan of them? And by the way, I thought, you know, when all was said and done and the dust declared, whatever you think of uh, some of the associates, whatever what you think gives merited that evaluation, whether you thought Jack Campbell was first-round level linebacker, I mean, you look at some of these players they got later, Sam LaPorta, Brian Branch, uh, Hendon Hooker. I mean, this seemed like a pretty good draft for them. How do you feel about the Lions just as, uh, as in the way they evaluate and stick by their guns? I think it's great because, I mean, they came into the league and the, the media wanted to laugh Dan Campbell out of the, the press conference. And it seemed like, you know, certain aspects of the media were like making fun of like the way that he talked about what this team was going to be. And then, sure enough, the team was that. The, you know, even though well, I haven't seen any kneecaps bitten, I haven't. Well, you know, then I, I'm I still would waiting. Just, I, well, I know you're a literal kind of guy, so right. you, you know, I get it. But they're coming pretty close. I'll say this: is that they're um, they play hard, they refuse to die, they come pretty close. Um, you know, they they've played good football, considering that their past defense has been atrocious. Um, they've been able to be in a lot of games that a lot of teams would not have been in. And that tells you the kind of fight that they have. So to, to me, this team is on is in going in the right direction. And I don't, you know, this team knows what it is. They've established identity. They know what they are. They know what they want to be. And so, you know, are they going to get every pick right? No, you know, but I think that a lot of the picks they made were good ones. Right, and so, you know, an associated piece of that draft was DeAndre Swift moving on, traded to Philadelphia. He torched the Eagles last year. I think it was week one, week two. What was it, week one? Lit them up. And so they remembered, and they acquired him when he obviously became available. David Montgomery's still in that backfield working alongside Jameer Gibbs, so that's going to be a little bit of a limiting factor on, on Gibbs, I would have to think. Um, but Swift going to Philly, does he benefit? Are you feeling he benefits from this move? Um, tepid. To be honest, I if I had to go one direction or the other, I would bet on fuck mm. it more than feel it. It's a one-year situation for him. Um, that he's basically going to get a tryout to see if he can beat Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott. And I'm going to tell you this: both of them run better between the tackles than Swift does. I think that this is a little bit of a um, of an infatuation of what they think the player is as opposed to what he actually is. Um, DeAndre Swift has not been a good decision maker between the tackles. The runs that where he does benefit are space runs. And so when he does look like he's running well between the tackles, it's because they're running delays and draws, um, which aren't really between the tackle runs in the way that things are set up. It's more of a like, let's create a lot of space in the middle and you play return specialist. That's what they're hoping for when you do that. He bounces too many things outside, um, and so and he doesn't have great speed or quick or evaluate um, or acceleration. It's kind of a weird combination where it's just good enough on each end, but he's not as big of a big play option as you would think. 
He's he benefited a lot from game scripts where the team was behind and that they needed to throw underneath because teams <clears> opponents were giving up the underneath zones. I don't think you're going to see that a lot in Philly with that team. I think you're going to see different game scripts. And honestly, you know, to me, Swift is the type of guy that I listen. I traded. I I, I set a trade offer to a team in Dynasty for a fourth round pick in my rookie draft for Trey Sermon um, before the draft. And I knew he was going to wait until after the draft to take it. And I didn't care. I was like, I saw DeAndre Swift traded. I didn't, I just said, fine, <clears throat> go ahead and go ahead and execute the deal. Because I think that Swift is the type of player that he may get some key opportunities with a better offensive line. But at the end of the day, they didn't keep Miles Sanders because Miles Sanders while he got better, was inconsistent with some decision-making. I think that they, you know, the guys they did keep, they know what they can do. So <clears throat> I I'm, I don't see DeAndre Swift repeating what he did. I think at best he's a running back three, running back four in fantasy. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. A couple of things. Uh, we're calling on serious Jeff Ratcliffe saying, you know, he's still DeAndre Swift. Uh, you know, don't, you know, new play's great, but he's still that guy. Also, the Detroit offensive line, Pretty good offensive line as well. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, availability is a good ability. We'll see. Between him and Rashad Penny, maybe they can cobble together an entire season of running back uh, one production with uh, Gainwell and Scott chipping in. Because we know Scott's playing the Giants twice a year. There will be touchdowns, people. Uh, moving on to the quarterbacks. So let's go with the top two. Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. Feeling either of them as viable depth in redraft this year. I think Bryce Young, because of what he can do off structure, I know that people think about C.J. Stroud in the Georgia game and that he did all this stuff great off structure. I thought he was competent off structure, but I didn't think that it completely changed his evaluation the way that you hear in the media narratives from that bowl game. So Young, to me, he also has, a, I think, a more experienced cast surrounding him and, and an offensive line that's getting better. I mean, Stroud might have... Some good guys along the offensive line himself and Laramie Tunsil. Um, Green was a, maybe a little tougher to evaluate, but their center and their right tackle are a little bit weaker. So I'm going to go with Young. Nice. Fair enough. I, I think I would as well. I, you know, I think this, the, the Texans have a little bigger lift just in general, right? So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, Anthony Richardson, a player you love. I love because you love him, but also because I have eyes and I watch the scouting combine. And just, you know, like Anthony Richards himself said, he is not human, he's an alien uh, in those athletic regards. So uh, I don't think any of us have seen probably enough of him on the college football field to make any definitive decisions. But I, I want to see, let's frame it like this. Shane Steichen, feeling him as the right coach to get Anthony Richardson on point. Yeah, though I was a little worried because when I think of, you know, Jim Irsay giving well, a talk. Well, he's the coach. But, you know, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. But when I was thinking about, yeah, Jim Irsay being the guy that coach had Ursay. this conversation <laughs> with Richardson about how he needs to play, and I thought, yeah, they probably had to convince you not to take Will Levis. If you had the conversation you had with Anthony Richardson, this is the reason why I didn't think the Colts were even going to draft Anthony Richardson, um, just because it seemed to be a mentality that was rooted in a little bit of ignorance. But, hey, you know what? I'm glad that the Colts did make make the choice, and I don't think we need to get him on point in the way that some people think, but we've established that. Um, Shane Steichen has experience doing developing quarterbacks and doing it in different ways. And really developing means 
developing the offense to maximize what the quarterback has developed in within himself. And I think that um, what he did with Jalen Hurts is a good example of that. And you're going to see some similarities. Um, the difference is, is that I would say that um, Anthony Richardson has less experience than Jalen Hurts, but more savvy with the things that are hard to teach and more athletic. So I think this is a good match. Yeah, my, my uh, on-point reference is to maximizing potential would have been a better phrase there. But I, 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 I think the thing I about, think it's accurate to have a discussion because most people right. don't think it's on point. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah, well, I, certainly, you know, all the pieces are there. But, I mean, you know, 13 starting games. I mean, he needs – there's, he there's work to be done. And the, you know, sub-60% completion, you know, is an issue. And it seems like he's better throwing the deep ball than he is the shorter balls, just, you know, on a surface level. And maybe that's not, you know, the – the scouting evaluation, but I mean, I think there's clearly some work to do here. So I'm, I'm just feeling like Steichen having experience, not just, you know, I thought the, that, you know, choosing and whether that was his total decision or not choosing the different paths and the way they develop uh, Justin Herbert with the chargers when he was there, where they were super pass heavy. They took a different approach with Jalen Hurts, where they went heavier with the run in Philadelphia. Just, just that experience that like, just if my complaint about Anthony Richardson is, and I think, I would have taken him. I thought all along the Colts were going to take him. I might have taken him as the first pick overall just for that huge upside because I am a greedy bastard and I want everything I can get. But, but I mean, I just, I think people, what people feared was that lack of, you know, high, you know, of experience at a highly competitive level. And so I'm hoping that Shane Steichen is the guy that can get him developed to the point or get him up there. And we've seen, you know, I keep throwing out the Josh Allen, you know, wasn't very accurate when he came into the league either. And he got more accurate. So I'm hoping that Steichen is maybe the guy that can get all the all the pieces together that we want to see out of Anthony Richardson to maximize that freakish athletic ability. Yeah. I think for me the I think for me when I look at that is I mean, I understand when people look at the completion percentage, what I will point out is that when you chart the games, you actually find that there were more drop passes than pretty much any quarterback in in history other than Dan Marino in the college game. And when you look at like the from like the 80s on so that tells you that there's a little better accuracy than people think but i would say some of the decisions that that result in maybe um not recognizing coverages things like that that will lead to um interceptions are going to be the issue with him uh he's going to play because coach ursay said he is the starter already so whatever. see there you go well <laughs> that listen you know uh, hopefully, Coach Ursay sticks to his old wardrobe. Let's go, let's go from there. We'll see. Go back to buying musical instruments, Coach. Uh, Stetson Bennett, feeling him as having the best landing spot of all the day three quarterbacks. Yeah, I'm totally feeling that um, because really they didn't have anybody else. They don't have anybody else behind Nobody. him. They're and zero. Matthew They're Stafford's the aging. Only guy on the roster. And still, a, and he's always going to be a tough guy. He's going to die hard, and that means that when he, you know. I mean, the number of back injuries that he's had, the, he's taken a pounding during his career. Bet, Bennett could easily play this year um, yeah. at some point. And I think Bennett is good enough that – I'll put it to you this way. If if the Jets if the Jets had, uh, you know, Zach Wilson or Bennett as their choice to pick in the draft a few years ago and they were in the same spot, I you know, I would have easily had Bennett with a higher grade. Um, and and actually, Stetson Bennett might have been one of my top three to four quarterbacks last year easily, um, and probably would have been the most successful in terms of how, in terms of draft capital. He probably would have had 
draft capital on par with what we saw with Kenny Pickett. I think that makes perfect sense. It does seem like we saw last year Baker Mayfield walk in the door and come in cold and have a decent game. I mean, you know, you see that catching lightning in a bottle kind of situation when teams don't know what to prepare for or whatnot. But I think Bennett there with some time to actually learn the offense, that probably is a good thing. Yeah. Um, running backs, uh, Zach Charbonnet uh, ends up in Seattle. Uh, is he? Uh, do you view him as a legitimate threat to diminish Kenneth Walker in the third's workload? Yeah, I do in terms of workload. I think that this is going to be a one-two punch. They want a one-two punch. Um, they also want to run a lot more. And I'm going to bring this up just because I think about the Rams, or excuse me, the, Ram, the Rams and then moving to Seattle. And Shane, Shane Waldron um, came from the Rams. And when he was with the Rams, they ran 11 personnel over 90% of the time or like between 80 and 90% of the time. That's what you thought they wanted to do in Seattle, but they didn't have the running backs um, or the wide receiver, the health of their slot receiver, you know, D. Eskridge, who was their rookie who got concussed, and he never really was able to help them get to that 80, 90% range for the past two years. So he went with more 12 personnel um, with two tight ends. I think this year would you know, JSN with Jackson Smith and Jigba, we're going to see this team run a lot more 11 personnel. Um, and it's going to look a lot more like some of what the Rams did um, than what we'd seen in the past. Um, so I would say, and I'm, I'm going to add in that in Jigba might also be a threat to diminish the run game a little bit more just from the standpoint that I think they're going to throw enough to him and still keep those other two receivers afloat. I would not be surprised if Geno Smith has a 5,000-yard season and has 3,000-yard receivers. That'd be fantastic. By the way, this is not <clears throat> a new thing in Seattle, right? Anyone who had, had previously uh, been interested in Chris Carson was probably upset when Rashad Penny showed up. People who were interested in Rashad Penny were upset when Kenneth Walker III showed up. People who were invested in Kenneth Walker III are upset when Zach Charbonnet shows up. This is a natural progression for the Seattle Seahawks. People get used to it. You're not already. Uh, Ty J Spears, uh, short term, uh, is he a concern for Derrick Henry investors this year? No, but I think that he'll be a nice addition um, to help the team. And you're going to see maybe some expanded work in the terms of what Dontrell Hilliard did at, on certain weeks with Derrick Henry in the equation. They like to throw the ball out of the backfield. Um they like to have a scat back. They've been trying to do that with an aging Deion Lewis. It didn't work with Dontrell Hilliard. It had some success. Um, I think you're going to say that, see the same thing with Spears, but you may see that they lessen Henry's workload enough that maybe he's not a top five back this year or a top three back <clears throat> this year. Let's say he's not a top three back this year, but top five, top seven, top ten, I still think you should plug him in. Right, and it's not unusual if you've been out there drafting in best balls prior to the draft, and, and I'm sure the, you know the the fears any time a person is added a position increases. But you're finding Derrick Henry going late in the second round. It's not unusual. I've seen him in the third round as well, and when he's there, he is mine. Hell, he's mine in the second round. I'll still draft him in the first round. I'm I'm not afraid of of Derrick Henry there, given the right circumstances. Uh, Devin A. Chain. Uh, we know what this Miami, you know, backfield is all about. It's about just guys doing things that are more than just the guys do, right? They put them in good position. Is Devin A. Chain capable of delivering in the Miami backfield? Um, 
I think to a with a limited workload, yes. I want to see proof that that the team feels he can hold up on more than a twelve to fifteen he's a smaller guy touch thing. Yeah, right he's a here. smaller guy for sure. One hundred eighty-five. Is that? Yeah, yeah. So if he can, if he can, if he can maintain one ninety-five to two hundred, I would I would <clears> feel <throat> better about him getting you know eight to twelve touches per game. But I think you're probably going to see, especially. With I think Jeff Wilson's going to benefit more from this than anybody because Mostert's the one who's aging, probably the one that gets dinged up the most. Um, A-Chain will get opportunities there. But then at, also you want to see make sure you adjust to the passing game. So they'll probably keep Miles Gaskin around. And it seems to me, I think A-Chain's still going to be a part of a three-back split no matter who the three backs are, other two backs are. That seems fair enough. You know, Wilson and Mostert, big and fast. I mean, they're, you know, they... They got that going for them, and they're already familiar with the offense. Roshan Johnson, um, <clears throat> feel it or fuck it, does he get the best landing spot of the day three running backs? Fuck it, even though I like where he went because Dante Foreman is on a one-year deal. Um, Roshan Johnson certainly is a nice player. I think he'll take over that Dante Foreman role in 2024. But the guy with the best day three running, I think, is Zach Evans. Zach Evans goes to the Rams. There's Kyron Williams isn't fast. No. He isn't big. He isn't strong. He can run some pretty routes in practice um, when they show him in high school making moves on moves on moves, which got Andy Isabella out of town in Arizona pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> maybe he'll be back coaching my old uh, my old neighborhood, Mayfield Heights, where he went from high school at someday. But uh, you know, you look at you look at. Uh, What's behind him? Ronnie Rivers at Fresno State is an is a nice undrafted free agent scat back, you know, who could use kind of like um, Jalen Richard, but that but not as powerful. So really, there's nobody behind Cam Makers to do what Am Cam Makers can do, other than um, Zach Evans and maybe Tyon Evans, and they're both sleepers. They both have good spots to maybe become the second and third backs on this. Rams depth chart and to me the the Rams traded up a lot of picks within the round to get Evans I think they know what kind of player he is and what he's capable of and Akers is on a one year deal Akers played great last year at the end of the year I was really impressed with how he looked and I think he could have a strong year this year but uh, and maybe they resign him after that and that dooms Evans but all it takes is one injury and Evans could or be the back one, in the future. Or when Cam Akers getting sent home again for a number of weeks, which he was last year and which Karen, yeah. Karen Williams did not take, you know, charge of anything. Um, and by the way, uh, you know, Cam Akers did a lot of that work late last season behind probably the most diminished offensive line in all of football. Yeah. And right now you can buy him best balls at about, oh, running back 25, 26. That's a pretty good value. All day, every day. I'm yep, taking that I'm dude. with you. Yeah. I have a lot of, a lot of shares. Okay. Uh, so just kind of spitting off that last question about Johnson and you throw it Evans. Sean Tucker gets $155,000 guaranteed as an undrafted free agent in Tampa Bay. How should we view this? We should view it as that Rashawn, um, White did not look good last year between the tackles. Um, and they're still hoping that he's a worthwhile player. He can catch. He can run fast. He's got to be better as a decision maker. That line has to be better. Um, that quarterback is going to have to take on more than what he's used to taking on Baker Mayfield. Um, but I'll say that overall, um, 
there there isn't really anybody behind him that you're going to look at that's great competition and Sean Tucker had some of the best acceleration of any of the running backs in this class. So I think there's a good opportunity for him to carve out a role. And if uh, White falters, Tucker could be a nice surprise. So the uh, wide receiver run began in round one at 120. Seattle taking Jackson Smith and Jigba, as we discussed earlier. Quentin Johnson went at 21 to the Los Angeles Chargers. Zay Flowers, 22 to the Baltimore Ravens. Then Jordan Addison out of USC goes at 23 uh, to the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, tell me why I would be wrong to believe Jordan Addison has the most productive rookie season. Well, for the reasons I explained about Jackson Smith and Jigba being surrounded by two other strong talents and getting a lot of great matchups could be one argument. Um, you know, you could also argue the same thing in Baltimore, even though there's a lot of bias about that. We still wonder whether Lamar Jackson can really expand an offensive in the passing game, and there's a lot of weapons. But I'm a big believer that the the if you've got good weapons around the player, they get better matchups and bigger plays, more efficiency, and a lot of targets. Um, but I will not begrudge you the idea that he could be the most productive of the four. I'm feeling the idea because you've got the big bully in, in Justin Jefferson on one side. you got TJ Hawkinson as well, and... Addison get, is going to get some primo looks with a veteran quarterback. So, you know, to me, he's one of the top three to four wide receivers on the board <clears throat> of the rookie wideouts. And, and that means that I'm not going to argue anybody saying that he will be the guy. So Matt Wallman is feeling Bob Harris is totally correct in, this, in expecting Jordan Addison. To that's right. That's that's the that's the that's the long term one with that. that. That's a winning. That's a winning proposition. Patrick Mahomes, are you feeling him being enough to make Rasheed Rice the most interesting day two wideout? No, fuck it. Nah. Uh, I, I, and it's just because I think I think there's just so many guys that are there on are. that roster. <laughs> I mean, look, Richie James played well last year. They brought him in. Sky Moore, they drafted last year. They they still have him in that mix. You know, you've got. Kelsey and Tony already, unless Rishi Rice just overtakes um, Marquise Valdez Scantling right away, and while a lot of people might go, that's that's very possible the way he the money the says football. maybe not. <laughs> Mark, yeah, the money says maybe not, and Ray, and Marquise Valdez Scantling <laughs> drops the ball almost as much as Rishi Rice does. Um, and <laughs> so when I hear the NFL <clears throat> Network crew go, well, we have, I, I we just wondered why we saw him lower on so many boards from people out in the industry you know it had to do with the conference i was like no it had to do with him clapping on the targets like he was at one of bob harris's concerts you, you know and that's not you know he makes some tough plays but i didn't even mention justin ross who now is healthy and has another year who i would have rated higher than reishi rice <laughs> so it's possible but i don't think he's the most interesting day two wide out Right. And by the way, just just an aside there, and I, I mean, we were all kind of excited about Justin Ross. I think the people who I've talked to in Kansas City are not very excited right now about Justin Ross. Yeah. Uh, it just seems like it's not panning out. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, speed, let's look at another off-schedule guy. And this may be a question about a player I probably invested in in a draft before the draft. So uh, Xavier Hutchinson, uh, will he benefit from a clear path to workload in Houston? Uh, is this per, is this like maybe a better landing spot for him than some other spots? Yeah, I think it is mainly because um, you got a lot of guys on one year deals. Um, Robert Woods isn't going to play forever. 
Um, that's the role that he would probably have an opportunity with. Nico Collins has been decent, but he hasn't been great. So there's opportunity there. Tank Dell's mainly, you know, he's he can play one of two positions. Um, probably, he actually could probably have a potential to play all three. Hutchinson can probably play two. John Mechie isn't out of the woods yet. There's a lot of, there's it's it's pretty cloudy right now in terms of what that depth chart looks like. And Hutchinson is the type of guy that can probably endear himself in a couple of levels. And with his route running, um, you know, I think that he could be a good match with a guy like CJ Stroud. So you mentioned Tank Dell. Am I wrong? Did I should I have learned something from Tutu Atwell? And is is it better to be like a certain size to play in the NFL or is this 5'8", 165 pounder different? That's a good question. And the difference with he and Tutu Atwell is that Atwell was not is not the route runner that um, Tank Dell remotely is. Uh, Atwell is mostly speed and his open field skills are based more on speed, whereas Tank Dell is much better at the catch point earning position also, what he does off the line is much more sophisticated. He's a much more sophisticated <clears throat> route runner who holds up pretty well. The size is a little is still a concern, so it's a fair question. But I would say that it's um, there is a better chance, I think, for Tank Dell to be a fantasy <clears throat> viable player than what Tutu Atwell can ever hope to become. Deuce Vaughn says Tank Dell is high tall as hell um so dalton kincaid goes to the buffalo bills with first round draft capital invested i think that's worth noting uh feeling him emerging as a potential fantasy starter this very season yes because if i'll put it to you this way if kyle pitts did, did it in year one and and pat fryermuth almost did it in year one and did it for parts of year one i think dalton kincaid can do it with one of the best quarterbacks in the league and he will likely be the second option in this passing game by year's end. Um, and if I'm in a 1.5 premium PPR, he's the number one 1.1, 1.01 player. Note taking. In 1.5 PPR rookie drafts. There you me. have it, people. Yeah. Have all the making news here on the Feel It or Fuck It podcast. I'm feeling that fucking thing all right uh let's look beyond uh, dalton kincaid sam laporta michael mayer any of the other day two tight ends being viable fantasy assets this season i think both could be because you look at um chig um Okonkwo last year and they had austin hooper in town in tennessee and Okonkwo had moments um i think laporta and mayer are better players um and mayer being in a situation where with austin hooper there he probably will start to get more and more looks, but I think that you're looking more of a Pat Fryermuth type of end of the year where you're not drafting him. You're you're picking him up mid-season. Sam Laporta is a different story. I think Sam Laporta may be in a good enough situation, especially with the way he runs routes as a detached receiver, that he might become a viable asset. I would consider him late as maybe my second tight end and take the chance for the upside. <clears throat> holding out that hope we saw the Lions last year tj hawkinson got his three touchdowns and was traded away then brock wright and shane zilstra rack up eight uh so from the position so uh, there's potential there people and uh, again i might be talking as someone who drafted sam laporta in a dynasty draft 
before the NFL draft. Um, let's Good talk choice. a couple a couple of uh, you know draft adjacent items here. Let's say Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook. You feeling them remaining in place this season now that there have been no developments during the draft? No major developments. Let, let me change that. No major developments. Absolutely, though. I think Chase Brown is a guy that deserves mentioning out of Illinois. Right. That he's probably going to be the running back too pretty easily in that unless he just completely there are some things that are a little concerning from a scouting point of view that you look at and go what on earth are you doing but they're they're moments they're not the norm if if those moments if those moments become the norm maybe they do have to roll with the veteran behind Mixon and get somebody out there but i think that brown is capable dalvin cook yeah i think he's going to remain in place i would say another guy that benefits very well from what happened in the draft or not what didn't happen in the draft is Keontae Ingram behind James Conner, the running back out of Arizona, who right. who basically he and Tyson Williams are going to be running backs two and three heading into the into the class, um heading into the preseason. We're and a team with a new a offense and without a quarterback, right? So this is something to keep an eye on if you're out there in the best ball rooms and you see James Conner sitting around in rounds five, six, seven, eight um, ask yourself why you have not taken him yet. Um, I realize the downsides with him. And by the way, uh, Dwayne McBride goes to Minnesota. You mentioned Chase Brown goes to Cincinnati. So they did add some pieces, but that guaranteed money or the, the deal that Alexander Madison got kind of suggests he's he'll be there a couple of years. But, you know, with all the uncertainty surrounding Cook and Mixon, I don't know that it's totally resolved, but it's much less uncertain. I would have to agree with you. And finally, Lamar Jackson contract. Feeling that is actually the biggest draft week development. Yeah, I actually do because it sets the stage for one. Um, agents probably did not want this to go as well as it did. <laughs> right, right. Um, so they're probably they're probably leaking things too and saying things <laughs> right. that were being said in the media. It shows you that a kid who, you know, it just shows you once again that Lamar Jackson is being dramatically underestimated throughout the length of his career in just about every facet um and here he is he didn't he didn't wilt under the pressure my buddy jason wood at football guys who you know listen you know he he certainly he works in the financial industry um he understands a thing or two about negotiations um he he said listen you know mea culpa i i thought I I really didn't think this was going to go well at all, and kudos to him. And I think that's the expectation most had. But I do think that it, it means that the Ravens are saying effectively on the field, we drafted you <laughs> because we thought you could be a terrific player for us and terrific playmaker for us. But our offense says we didn't really think you could be a great passer. We thought you could be good passer, a great runner. Now we're in a situation where basically it says, all right, you say you can be a great passer. We're going to pay you as such, and we're going to give you the support to do it. We're actually going to believe that you could be the passer that you actually showed a lot on tape, you know, at Louisville in a also in 2019. <laughs> yeah. And an offense that was run by Bobby Petrino, who many would say was one of the best offensive coordinators and offensive minds as a pro offensive coordinator. Um, and Jackson ran a pro-style offense that people forget about. So, yeah, I think it's one of the biggest developments. Well, I will quote Lamar himself, say he throws pretty good for running back. He also negotiates pretty good for running back. Um, so uh, there you have that. Uh, Lamar using a little bit of humor against his detractors 
uh, after his MVP Lamar season. Jackson can flip off everybody, and I will still be a fan. You know, <laughs> he should flip off everybody. Honestly, everyone has said a bunch of stupid stuff about him, and he just keeps continuing to prove them wrong. So, and I hope he continues to keep proving them wrong. His mama raised him. him right. I'll say that, and with she seems proving, to be in. Uh, a, she seems to be very <laughs> helpful even now. Well, I would say, you know, to your point, I mean, the you know, getting rid of Greg Roman, bringing in Todd Munkin with super productive offense we've seen the last couple of years in Georgia, uh, created a lot of good players, uh, produced a ton of offense. Uh, I forgot I could swear here. I could say a shit ton. Um, you know, it's like radio pod. I don't know where the hell it's I Monday. am. It's Monday. I'm like, oh, get out of here. All right, Matt, that's it. We'll get out of here on that. Love you. Goodbye. Love you. Bye.